Welcome to Witch City Witches, a podcast from Salem, Massachusetts, exploring the practice of witchcraft. I'm Anna. And I'm Becca. And we, before we get started, we just want to remind you that if you go to witchcitywitches.com, you can book tarot readings with either myself or with Anna. We also have um, t-shirts and mugs and soon to be more things for sale, swag with our logo on it. So you can pick those up there as well. And also that I am on YouTube now at This Magic House. Um, so you can find that through my Facebook page or my website. Um, you can find me there. And Anna has some tarot stuff as well. Yes, I have a monthly tarot subscription um, where you can sign up and get monthly original spreads and an exploration of symbolism and tarot. And it's great for anyone who wants to deepen their personal practice. And you can find information about that on witchcitywitches.com as well. Just wanted to let you know that uh, if you're joining us here and you like us, then we're, we're other places as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> so this is our first post-election recording. And it feels awesome because our last episode was recorded right before Samhain and, you know, right before the election. And there was so much anxiety going into this. And there was kind of a huge call in the witch community for people to, you know, get together and pour their magic together and try and make change. And I feel so good. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Not quite done yet. Georgia still has to have the, the Senate uh, special elections in January. So we'll still we have a couple more months to see what the final results are. But um, hopefully everything there will go in a positive direction as well. But yeah, it's it's been a stressful week. Um, yeah, it's uh, just less than a week since the election and just a couple of days since they announced um, that Biden had won while we're recording this. So a little bit of relaxing, a little bit of uh, letting some air out. I'm giving myself a moment to catch my breath and then, you know, get right back to work because this election was not, you know, the final goal. It was just the first step in all the change that we're trying to make in the world. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've talked about it before that, you know, Biden wasn't our, either one of our first choices. Um, it's like he, he's much better than what the op- the other option was, but you know, in the grand scheme, is he everything we wanted? No. And um, there was a um, there was a satirical article that I saw on um, Reductress, which is kind of like it's the Onion, but all like feminist. Um, mm-hmm. But it was basically something like you know, I want Biden to win so I can go back to hating a president in the normal amount. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, politicians all have problems. Like that's kind of like goes along with wanting that job that, you know, like you want to run an entire country. Well, you probably have some sort of issues. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there's there's narcissism and then there's narcissism. But yeah, I think, you know, like you were saying, there's a lot of calls for, you know, putting witchcraft towards this. And I think what we were talking about briefly before we started recording is that you think, oh, you know, all these witches are putting so much power into this election to have Biden win. And he won and he won by millions of votes, but the election was still kind of close. Like, like it was a lot closer than we expected it to be, you know, was all that working for nothing if like, and I think what you need to understand is that it wasn't just one side working this issue. A lot of people don't, 
realize that there are a lot of right-wing people in occult spaces. That's why a lot of political magic is not spoken of in public spaces that you have to like join these secret groups where things are talked about and nothing wants to be, because as soon as you say what your plans are, then someone else can quickly build a plan around counteracting that. So yeah, I mean, I think that all of the workings did help, but you know, nothing is done in a vacuum. It's not just, there isn't just a, a push one way. But you know, it was, enough yep right and that's also another interesting point about magic is when we're asking for things is to know the difference between asking for enough and asking for excess Mm -hmm. you know and also understanding that enough doesn't have to be scraping by right so yeah i'm looking forward to you know positive change i am looking forward to this existential dread backing off a little bit because it's been four years of existential dread and um, it's exhausting. It is. I mean, I have to say, as an immigrant, I, you know, I filed my application for citizenship when it became clear to me in the spring of 2016 that Trump was going to win, and everyone kept saying that I was nuts for believing that, but I, you know, felt it in my bones, and even though I got my citizenship, I never felt safe. And then he started going after people who had been naturalized and trying to revoke naturalization, and so honestly, as soon as they called it, you know, I cried because that was four years of just constant stress. And, you know, as someone who has citizenship, my stress level is so much less than people who are, you know, in various other stages of documentation or lack thereof. So this is definitely a really big sigh of relief. Right. Maybe other people have some thoughts on the election that they want to email us about or send us an Instagram message. We're always happy to respond to those at uh, Witch City Witches on Instagram and Ask a Witch at Witch City Witches if you want to email us um, and we can uh, we can talk more about this. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to, you know, this is a big life-changing event that has just occurred and um you know, clearly it's not just us that are happy. Like, you know, London let off fireworks. Paris had all the church bells ringing. So, uh, yeah, it's a worldwide celebration, which, you know, now leads me to saying now is a moment where all of those of us who have been, you know, doing ritual and praying and, you know, begging to our spirit guides to make this, make this change. Now we have to take a moment to thank them for helping us get there. Right. Yes. So yeah, that's one of the things that I did want to talk about is, you know, how do you like, you know, say thanks and who might you say thanks to? So I know, like in my tradition, the number one deity to say thanks to is whoever you have the closest relationship to. And we're going to talk about what that means a little bit later uh, in this episode. But, you know, if you have a relationship with a certain God, and even if they seem to have nothing to do with politics or justice or luck or anything like that, give thanks to them because they're the ones that that is closest to you. Um, But then, you know, in a broader sense, you know, like from my tradition, like, well, Zeus does justice and Nike does justice and Nemesis is in charge of, you know, retribution against you being wronged and Hermes is in charge of luck. So, you know, and of course those, when I say in charge of, that's sort of like a a loose kind of (laughs) term of just, you know, for 
for ease of uh, speaking about it. But, you know, so there's definitely in different traditions, there's different gods who have natural dominion over different areas. And so directing thanks towards them makes sense. For me personally, how to do that, pretty much how I would do any other offering. I'll, you know, pour out a uh, liquid libation or wine or honey um, and light some incense. I think, you know, burning bay leaves is a big part of that for me because bay, like the bay laurel is so much of the, the victory wreaths. So to using a bay incense um, or just, you know, burning leaves as a thanks for victory makes a lot of sense to me. So yeah, so that's, that's what I'm doing to say thanks. Uh, I don't know, what is your tradition? You know, this kind of gets into a, a, a bit bigger discussion that I sort of can't detach from the, you know, the, the listener question that we were going to get into today. So I guess I'm going to bring that up first. You know, we put out a question on Instagram this week, if anyone had anything that they'd like us to talk about. And one of the questions that we received, that's a really great question is, how do you pick a deity to worship? And you know, there's no simple answer here. I mean, there's a simple answer of what not to do. Don't just like go on Google and pick one and decide, hey, this is the one or like, you know, pick at random. But the idea of worship today and in ancient times has changed so, so, so much. And one of the interesting things about witchcraft is that, you know, independent of how, you know, you you define it or I define it or any of the people that we've had on here define it, uh, witchcraft has a characteristic that everyone who practices it is an active practitioner and participant. And this is different from most religions in that most religions, you are passive in the ritual and the clergy performs the ritual, right? You go to church and I use church just because, you know, that's what I'm most familiar with, but you go to church and there is a you know, priest who is performing the ceremony and everyone else is there as, you know, as an observer. And if you're a Christian and you go home and you don't have access to church for a reason, it's not very common that Christians will recreate the ritual in their own home, in their own space. And one time many, many years ago, I heard a description of witchcraft as a uh, religion of you know, initiates and clergy members. And, you know, aside from the discussion of whether to consider witchcraft or religion, I thought that that was really interesting because it's true because, you know, everyone who's practicing, you know, casts a circle. It's not like, you know, you need to have a coven or a high priest, like everyone is sort of taking on bits of sort of clergyhood, right, in their practice. But one thing that we had in ancient times that we don't have anymore is that you know, there were temples in ancient Egypt, there were temples in ancient Greece, there was clergy whose job it was to worship the deities all the time, uh, you know, in sort of in the name of the entire town or city. And so, uh, you know, the townspeople could would still have a relationship with the deities, but there was someone who was sort of constantly doing that work of feeding the relationship with the divine. And in pagan circles, like we don't really have that anymore, right? Like the active temples of people that are constantly worshiping are, like I'm, I, I'm sure there's some around because you know I've seen ads for you know whatever grove here, group there, but there isn't that much being done for the deities. So I wonder sort of about the vacuum that's been left as far as the energetic exchange between you know us and the divine. 
Uh, and so that very long-windedly you know, brings me to the idea of how you cultivate a relationship with the divine and how to remind people that the act of worship has to be a continuous act. It's not just showing up and asking when you want something. Right. The right. gods aren't vending machines. I, that gets said a lot. <laughs> right. And so, um, you know, for me, I, you know, after all that, for me, you know, when I'm saying things, generally it's because there's something that I've been having a dialogue with my deities about for a long time. So, you know, I will definitely go into ritual space and like literally say thanks to them and then do things like leave out offerings. But I, I try to have a relationship where I'm sort of constantly, constantly sort of being appreciative and I'm, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. as good at it as I should be. But I just think that in general, it would be great if, you know, people when they're looking to develop relationships with deities, if they remember that exactly what you said, that they're not vending machines and that you have to have like the actual relationship and sort of realize that like now that responsibility of doing all that worshiping is on each of us because there aren't, you know, dedicated, you know, temples doing that anymore. Right. And I think, you know, like, like I said, like with my Hellenic practice, that there's a saying that we are all priests of our home altars. And this is not necessarily even a new thing. Like it was, you know, going back into ancient times, they do archaeological archaeological digs, most households had some sort of home altar. Mm -hmm. And whoever was the head of the household was the priest of that home altar, even, you know, even if it was just a very small family. And so like that idea that just because you don't have a congregation, that relationship with divinity at that altar that you tend makes you a priest of that altar. And that, that is like, you do have that relationship, um, you know, that you should be cultivating as, you know, a, a normal part of your life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so, you know, when someone asks a question like, you know, what deity should you work with? It sort of depends on the context too, right? Because it's, you know, are you looking for like a patron or matron deity that you sort of have a lifelong relationship with? Are you talking about um, you know, for a specific type of ritual, for a specific type of spell, because there are sort of all these, you know, different levels of relationship. And, you know, I have deities who I've had an ongoing relationship with for, you know, decades at this point, but that doesn't mean that I invoke them for every single ritual, right? It kind of depends. You know, I think back to my, you know, early sort of witchcraft exploration days, and I spent a lot of time reading mythology and reading mythology sort of from all over the world. And not just mythology, but uh, comparative religion and sort of looking at religion through an academic lens and looking at, you know, the structure of, of rituals and how deities were worshiped because, you know, that's the other thing too. You can't just, you know, pick a deity out of a book and then worship them in a way that is, you know, incongruous with mm -hmm. sort of their mythos. and. So I think that, you know, my first recommendation for anyone who's trying to just learn, you know, thinking about developing a relationship with deities is learn about them. You know, like pick a pantheon and study it and then pick a different pantheon and study it. And you'll start to see, you know, you'll start to get familiar with deities, but also you'll start to see uh, similarities that happen and you'll start to see ar archetypes emerging, right? Because, you know, most cultures are going to have some form of 
crone, some form of maiden, some form of mother, and, uh, you know, someone who's in charge of, you know, helping cross over. And so these themes sort of carry over. And, you know, the more you know, sort of the better equipped you are to go into that, you know, ritual space with different deities. Right. And I think, you know, one thing I want to say about, you know, like when you talk about like picking a pantheon, you don't actually have to stick with one pantheon. I mean, some paths do. And, you know, if you're in a group that requires that and that works for you, then great. But the idea of pantheons with these hard edges based on like, you know, geographic locations is really an invention of Victorians. Like, oh yeah, I don't mean pick a pantheon and stick to it. I just mean maybe study one pantheon at a time, just so that you're kind of getting the full right. context. When I was know? a teen, when I was a teenager, I really thought that the Celtic pantheon was going to work for me. My dad was very into um, his uh, Irish heritage. My dad's family is mostly from Northern Europe, and my mom's family is mostly from Southern Europe. And you know, my dad was very into being Irish, even though he was less than fifty percent Irish. Um, but so I just it was I was kind of like surrounded by these Irish myths and stories that you know, like we had all these books and I really and you know this was in the late 80s early 90s when book wicca started being a thing and it really like everything was so Celtic and I was like oh yeah this is definitely where I should be going and I can't I've never been able to fully connect with those deities. But when I looked backwards farther in my life to when I was, you know, like seven to 10, when I was obsessed with Greek mythology and those stories, like, you know, when I was a very small child, I had temples to Rhea made out of rocks in my backyard. And like that, that connected to me. Like I can actually connect with those deities. So it's, you know, it's very much that, um, just because a, a mythology makes logical sense, I really wanted to connect with those Celtic deities and I tried and I tried and it didn't work. But when I stepped sideways and looked at the Hellenic deities, it did work. So I think that that's something, you know, when you're saying like, you know, look into one pantheon and then try another, because you can't connect one place doesn't mean that you won't be able to connect at all. You might just need to keep searching a little bit. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. That's one of the things that I find very interesting about, you know, when you and I work together, because you have that very strong connection to the Hellenic pantheon and not to the Celtic. And I'm the other way around. Like I look at the Hellenic pantheon and I try and there's just this disconnect. But, uh, you know, I do mesh with the Celtic pantheon, but that's not the only pantheon that I work with. Um, you know, there are some uh, deities that are part of, you know, Brazilian culture that I work with. There are actually a lot of deities from, well, not a lot, a couple of deities from Hinduism that have been in my life for a very long time. Um, and that's something that I'm always trying to be careful with because, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a place where the deities have a whole other, you know, religious context. And it's, it's an interesting thing to sort of navigate, you know, approaching it from the lens of witchcraft. But, right. um, you know, there's also sort of the... The, the complete opposite approach, right? Because we're sort of talking about taking an academic approach and becoming familiar with, you know, the mythologies of deities and trying them out. And actually, before I get to the other side, uh, you know, it's important to remember that deities are, you know, they are entities with, with consciousness and 
you know, moods and feelings for lack of a better word. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, working with your helping spirits and working with ancestors and how you have to actually cultivate a, a positive ongoing relationship, not just only ask them for things, but, uh, you know, deities also have different personalities. And sort of, so in a way, it's sort of like, you know, going on a date and trying it out. Like actually spend some time developing a relationship with a deity that you think sounds interesting, try it, um, you know, set up an altar to them. Like maybe spend a month developing a dialogue with that deity. And then if at the end of it, you, you didn't feel like you got the connection that you needed, you can say thank you and then work with someone else. But you have to actually, you know, invest the time in developing the relationship to see if it's going to work for you. You know, it's not just a, all right, I did all this reading and I know all the stories and, you know, Hera, I pick you, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think that there's two separate things. So, you know, as we talked before, you consider witchcraft your religion and I see it as kind of a, a sidebar to my religion. Um, and I think that when you're talking about picking a deity, the question of witchcraft versus religion can be different because if you're actually like the terminology working with, I've seen a lot of pushback from that terminology from people who are pagans, but not witches. Um, because they feel that it is, um, they feel like it is asking for deities to do something for you rather than, um, they think it's putting you at too even a level, that you're not co-workers, they're bigger than you. So I've seen a lot of, I don't agree with that pushback, but I just want to like say like there is this, this differentiation. And so in witchcraft, it's, it makes a lot more sense to have certain deities that you connect to because you're connecting with them for this ritual work. But for people who are just pagans and who aren't witches, I think that it is more that you can just set up an altar and you know give offerings and not necessarily, you don't need a patron. You don't need a specific God that you connect to. You can say, okay, well, you know, Zeus and Hera are the big God, so I'll, I'll put up an altar to them. Like that, you don't need to pick a patron. And even like, if you want a patron, you don't, you don't need one to start. You know, you can, like you said, you can experiment, you can talk to different ones to see which one, like, you know, you get feedback from. Um, but, you know, a really traditional way of picking a patron god would be to say, like, you know, what is your job? Okay, so my day job is I work in technology. So Athena and Hermes. And they they are actually, you know, um, some of the, the gods that I'm closest to but you know that's if you're looking for if you're looking for direction if you're like I want to do this but I have no idea where to start when you're looking at those pantheons look at gods that seem to have dominion over things you already like you know like if if you are an artist look for gods that have dominion over art if you're, you know, if you're in politics, look for a God that has dominion over politics. Maybe that's not right for you. Maybe it's not going to work out. But if you're, I think a lot of people get lost for too many choices from taking that first step of like, well, there's too many, there's so many pantheons, there's so many gods, there's so many, like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't choose. So there are ways to make those first steps and to say, okay, well, I am going to build an altar to Athena because I am a weaver, you know, so maybe Athena is not going to be your goddess after all, but that's a place to start. And you can kind of, you know, find pathways from there. You know, one of the, the, the things that we used to do in, you know, my coven, 
back in the day is on Samhain, our high priestess would actually um, bake a cake and she would tuck names of deities in the Celtic pantheon because that's who we worked with as a coven. And then whatever piece of cake you got, that would be your um, matron goddess for the year. Like you had a year of work to do with that deity. So, you know, that's something that that is okay to do as well, to just say, you know, like here are deities that make sense and I want one to come step forward and, you know, to work with me for say a month, six months, a season, a year. Um, you know, my my matron goddesses, I, I never set out to have sort of lifelong ones. It just sort of, you know, happened over the years because you go, you develop that relationship. But the, you know, the sort of the other side of the, the, the coin that I was gonna talk about, cause you know, we're, we've talked about this very academic approach of, you know, sort of looking up deities and getting to know them and, you know, worshiping them. Um, but, you know, deities and spirits, they all, they appear because they, they're already, you know, they're already there. They're part of the land. They're part of the, the realm that you're in. And eventually we get to know them and name them. And so, you, you know, we talk a lot about practicing in context. And so, you know, another approach that you can take rather than trying to figure out, you know, who is the deity that I want to talk to is who are the deities that are here where I live? And I don't mean, you know, go find a book that talks about deities that were in that area. I mean, like literally go into, you know, altered state of consciousness and like talk to the land, talk to the trees, talk to what's there and see who's there. Because you don't necessarily have to have uh, you know, a pre-existing name for the divine to connect with it. And honestly, my practice over the years has sort of gotten more and more abstract. I very rarely call on very specific deities anymore. Um, you know, I'll invoke the crone as the archetype, or, you know, I'll invoke, you know, I'll say I, I'm invoking the, the, the goddess and her mother aspect and let, you know, whoever needs to come forward, come forward. But I've sort of moved away from the specificity, uh, except in, you know, every once in a while, like if I'm working with, you know, my matron specifically, but just overall sort of for my general practice, it tends to be a lot more abstracted now. Yeah, I think that's another thing um, that there's kind of split ideas on. And um, a lot of people have very strongly held beliefs about one way or the other. But the idea of, um, hard polytheism versus soft polytheism and I don't know if you know those terms they might be more in like the but the idea like are there archetypes that the different pantheons are simply renaming or does each individual god have are, are they each an individual being and I think from a logical perspective I agree with the archetype idea it just makes sense that there's a goddess of war and all of the different war goddesses are facets of that one archetypical goddess of war. Mm -hmm. From my personal mystical experience of interacting with gods of that they'll only answer to me from one specific name, like pushes back on that idea and says that they're, they're individual. Like when our friend Lauren, who's been on the podcast a few times, she wrote a blog, uh, a blog post last spring about her relationship with Bridget. And I was just like, what you're describing is my relationship with Hecate. That goddess that you're describing is how I experience Hecate, but I am not able to contact her by the name Bridget. 
you know? And so like, for so my personal experience is like, so I think that the, the answer is neither one of those. It's somewhere in between. And yeah. the human mind can't actually comprehend what a God is. <laughs> so, so I think that there's truth in both of those ideas. And I don't, you know, some people are, have, are very, very fixated on one thing or another and like they have a truth and I I don't like the idea of, of truths with a capital T especially in religion I think that that leads to a lot of very bad places. For me the appeal of witchcraft is that it's non-dogmatic and so I, I agree and I think that you know a lot of religions and you know spiritual paths are trying to provide answers and you know capital t truths and one of the things that for me in this path has been very reassuring or at least you know in the tradition that i've worked with is that you know no none of us knows everything and we don't get to and it's okay mm -hmm. it's okay to embrace that mystery and accept it like you know like i don't have to know everything Right. I've had students come to me and say no but i wouldn't like what exactly happens in the afterlife and this and that and i said you know honestly i don't know but that doesn't matter because the other side of my practice is the idea that everything is a direct revelation experience. And so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if, um, you know, hard polytheism is real or if it's, you know, sort of soft polytheism. It sort of doesn't matter. What matters is if the way that you're relating to the divine is working for you. So, you know, do the things, study and try them out. And if it, you know, if it's something doesn't, feel right to you, it doesn't produce the results that you want, then don't do that anymore and try something else, right? Um, like that's the beauty of this type of practice is that there's no one here saying, oh, take my word for it, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about, you know, it's not about that blind belief in watching someone else's ritual, right? I'm not sitting in the audience watching that priest do the thing, like I'm doing the thing, right? And so I'm the only one who gets to say if it's working or not. So, you know, yeah, and I think from like what I said before about like, you know, humans don't understand, like can't understand what it actually means to be a god. Um, I don't, I take myths very non-literally. I think myths are, from a large part, they are fan fiction written by people with gods as characters. Some of them are divinely inspired. A lot of them are just popular fiction that have lasted 3,000 years. But one thing that I always think about is um, the myth of Dionysus's birth. And his mother was tricked into asking Zeus to show himself in his true form. Mm. And he was like, you really don't want me to do that. And she was tricked into saying like, no, this is the, this is the boon. You promised me a boon. I'm calling in that favor. You have to show me your true form. Mm -hmm. So he did and she burned to ash because the human mind can't understand the true form of a deity and that's okay. Like, right. I know? mean, even in Christian mythology, you have the Metatron because the human you know, body is not built to process the voice of God. Right, right. So I think that, you know, I think, especially it comes down to like, oh, some people get caught up in like, you know, what do the gods look like? I know there's, um, there's a post, it just very recently came back around in one of my Hellenic groups. Um, that someone did a photo shoot uh, of black people as the Olympian gods and the oh, gods I saw of Greece. That, yeah. And it's always good for kicking some racists out of the group when they complain. But the conversation often turns to like, you know, how should the gods be depicted? And, you know, some religions are closed religions, but especially with something like, you know, the Greek gods, 
the Greeks conquered large portions of Europe, Africa, and Asia and spread their religion. It's a little too late to call it home now. Um, so, you know, it's like, yes, the, the, the ancient Greeks depicted their, some of their gods as black sometimes. Like that, like that was normal. They knew African people. They knew Asian people. There are Asian carvings of Hercules hanging out with the Buddha because like, you know, people interacted. People think that like, oh, well in elder, elder times, like people all stayed in their home village, but no, they moved all the way around. You know, there's Asian Vikings have been found. So I think that- right. And they've shown, um, you know, tribes in Africa that practice old Judaic traditions. Mm -hmm. So there's, yeah, everything is connected, you know. Yeah, when, when I go into altered reality and I talk to Hermes, he very often presents himself as a very dark-skinned Black man to me. Like, that's just how he presents himself to me. Mm. And it's, you know, I mean, I don't know why. <laughs> you know, when I, when I interact with Hecate, she looks like Morticia. So, you know, it's, um, <laughs> but I think that, you know, just very long dark hair and like bone white skin, if you are someone who goes into that sort of space and interacts with deities, they're going to show themselves in a way that you can comprehend. Whether that is, you know, how, like the one time I've had a vision of Zeus, he looked just like Laurence Olivier in the 1980s version of Clash of the Titans. Uh, so, but with glowing fire eyes. Um, so I think that, but I think that like, they pull on, like they want you to, if they want you to know them, then they will show you in a way that you can comprehend. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what, a very long-winded way to get around to say that, is that they don't show you how they are. They show you in a way that you will comprehend. You know, this sort of reminds me of the, sort of one of the sub-questions to the question of how do you pick a deity? Uh, but you know, one of the questions that you get sort of as a follow-up is, do you have to wait for them to call you? Like. Let's be honest, they're probably not going to call you specifically. This is one of those moments where we sort of have to remember, you know, that we are tiny specks in this, you know, very large fabric of, of reality. And so, you know, every once in a while you, you might get a calling, but that's not something that you should wait for. You know, like they are sort of the big Thing, right and we are the ones who have to make the effort we are the ones who have to spend our energy you know worshiping worshiping them and developing a relationship and you know giving energy to them so that they'll give back to us so you know i don't recommend waiting around hoping that you're going to get some sort of divine signal right it's uh I, just the analogy that popped into my head was when you go into a pet shelter to pick out a new like dog or cat Sometimes you'll just go in and you'll have an idea, maybe you saw them online or whatever, and you're like, no, I'm looking for that specific cat. But usually they, the animal like will make itself known to you. And in this, this analogy, humans are gods and the cats are, are humans. Um. Yeah, I was gonna say that, you know, I've seen the family pet analogy before and let's be very clear, we are the pets. Yeah. Not the, yes. not the gods. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, you have to, you have to, you know, be extra cute or be extra aggressive or, you know, just keep butting your head against someone's leg until they notice you and, um, and agree to take you home. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very, it's very rare that someone is going to, uh, you know, for a God to just like pick someone. And, you know, it's, 
it's perfectly fine. The, a lot of people don't have mystical experiences. And I think we've brought this up with like, you know, when we were talking to Lauren at Halloween about like, you know, seeing ghosts and stuff, like it's okay if you can't enter alternate reality and have interactions with the gods. It's okay if you like never have that experience. It doesn't mean that you are a bad witch or you're a bad pagan. It just means that you experience things differently. Um, and you probably have skills in some other area. So, you know, it, I think a lot of people think that they're failing if they didn't, if they didn't get some sort of direct result that, and you, you could be doing witchcraft that works every single time. Like, you know, you do a spell to get a job, you got the job. You do a spell to get a new car, you got the new car. You like everything, like it could be, but then you're like, oh, but when I pray to my patron deity, I don't, you know, get any response. I'm not doing this right. It's like, well, you're just not well, attuned. Your spells are all working, so. Yeah, you're, you're not yeah. attuned to that particular wavelength, but that doesn't mean that your communications aren't working. And I also want to say that you don't, you know, you don't need a patron. I think I already said that, but it's, yeah. it's perfectly fine to just, or to have several, like you said, like you don't, I think a lot of times, and this may come from, from like, you know, popular kind of book Wicca type um, thing that people's like, you know, there's a god and a goddess and you pick one of each and they're like your focus. That you could do that in some paths. I'm sure some paths do that, but it's not as widespread as some people would have you believe. And it's normal to have several or none or, you know, just pick one based on what you're doing and not have one that's your daily. Yeah. I mean, I would just counter that with the, you know, watch out with the, you know, just pick one for what you're doing. Like, even if you're contacting a deity for a specific mm -hmm. project, still spend some time like buttering them up. Don't just. Oh, no, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And, and, and there might be, depending on the path you're in, there might be intermediary deities that you're expected to call on first. Like in Hellen in Hellenic faith, um, Hestia, who is the goddess of the hearth, and people who are new to it don't really pay her a lot of uh, mind because there's no mythology about her. No one is like making a Disney movie about Hestia, but she was the most important day-to-day -day goddess in ancient times because she, like, she was the goddess of the household. She was the goddess of the hearth. She's like, you know, she creates civilization. And every time you, no matter what other god that you're praying to, you pray to Hestia first. And like she opens the connections. So there might be, depending on the path you're in, there might be an intermediary God like that, that you can focus on. Even if you don't like, you know, if you don't say like, oh, you know, that they're my patron, but they, they could be just an important intermediary that is part of every ritual, whether they're the focus of the ritual or not. I like that you brought up Hestia because honestly, when you said that, you know, Lauren's description of Bridget to you was Hecate, I see much more of a connection between Bridget and Hestia than Hecate. Mm -hmm. Because I don't consider, you know, I consider Hecate a crone goddess, but I don't consider Bridget a crone. Yeah, see, I don't consider Hecate a crone. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. What? Um, she, in, 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 until fairly recently, she has always been depicted as a maiden. So that's... Yeah. It's actually, I mean, fairly late antiquity is when she's just was started to be seen with three heads. Like earlier than that, she's just a regular one-headed person. <laughs> I don't think I knew about the three heads, but you know. Well, she so she guards she guards the three-way crossroads. And mm -hmm. so the three heads, they think that it comes from people would 
put up statues to her, which were basically three masks on a pole at mm. the three-way crossroads because she, she was the guardian of the crossroads. Yeah. And from that three mask depiction, she became, uh, th I guess, three heads, six arms? I yeah. See, there yeah, I can yeah, start yeah. to see the connection to Bridget a little more because, you know, Bridget is, con is considered a triple goddess, you know, mm -hmm. three and one. Yeah. And so yeah. if people have sort of mutated Hecate into a three and one deal, then you can start to see a parallel there. Right. So, but yeah, so I think, but I think that what comes back to the conversation of like hard theism and hard polytheism and soft because the columns of dominion are very loose and amorphous and they don't, you can't just layer one god on top of the other and say, well, this is just like this other thing. Like, I'll say that, like, my relationship to Medusa, um, I see her as a aspect of Athena, like Kali is an aspect of Durga, you know, bringing in Hinduism. Um, but that doesn't mean that I think Medusa is Kali or that Athena is Durga. I'm just like, that's sort of it's a not relationship. Quite. Yeah, yeah. It, they, they sort of overlap in ways that aren't completely <clears throat> overlapping. And this is going to be a very strange example, but I'm going to talk about um, butchering cows. <laughs> and this comes to mind because, you know, being from Brazil, you know, one of the things that Brazilians are known for is their um, excellent steak, which you wouldn't know as a vegetarian. But it's um, true. <laughs> one of the things that makes Brazilian meat different from American meat is that the cow is actually butchered in different ways. So the cuts end up having different textures. And so, um, you know, you'll go to a Brazilian restaurant here in the U.S. and you'll be like, oh, this is the top sirloin. And, you know, it's not really, it's sort of a piece of top sirloin and a piece of another thing because, you know, we cut it different. And this to us has, you know, X name, but then here it's like little bits of two things that you, so they sort of, you know, um, aspects are getting sort of grouped in ways and identified sort of you know, differently in different cultures. And so, you know, the way that the sort of att attributes of the gods get divided don't completely overlap with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Man, I hope that made sense. <laughs> no, it, it made sense to me. Although, as you say, as a vegetarian, I'm not very familiar with Brazilian steak. Although um, my mother's family, as we've talked about, is uh, Portuguese, although from the, the Azor Islands, not uh, Brazil. And I grew up with Portuguese food mostly seafood, but I know, uh, I'm familiar with Portuguese food enough to know that I can't eat it since I became vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, it's just those, yeah, the boundaries between things aren't, and even when people say, oh, like the Greek gods and the Roman gods, they're the same. They're really not. Yeah, they're um, they're, they've been conflated very closely in, in more modern times, mm -hmm. but like Mars and Aries are very different. There's, and so they, they've kind of like melded together, but the Romans had gods that had their own thing before they were seriously interacting with the Greeks mm -hmm. and they're different, you know? So I think that, you know, you can't just say like, oh, well, Athena and Minerva, they're the same. Well, they have a lot of similar qualities, but they're not exactly the same. And so I think, you know, we're getting back to when I was saying, like, you know, like what name you call things by and you're saying, oh, like, you know, just invoking like an aspect. I think that also comes down to the fact that, um, you know, a lot of gods have epithets that they're not like there's Athena of the city. 
um, there is, you know, Hecate of the gates. There's, they have these like epithets that they're specific things. There's, there's an, you know, an epithet of Aphrodite as a war goddess. Because I'm saying like, even like their big domain, they have like these smaller epithet domains that are like, no, I'm just like, just this particular aspect is what I'm talking to. And I think that goes back to your idea of like, you know, like, oh, I'm calling in the goddess and her mother aspect, however that happens to appear that, right. you know, that you can call on gods in very specific ways. <laughs> like, you know, like we've talked about Hermes, like sometimes Hermes is a god of messengers, but he's also a psychopomp. And, you know, when you're praying to him for your ceremony for the dead, you probably don't want to invoke his aspect of the king of thieves. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and going back to Bridget, because now you brought up Minerva and I actually have uh, an, a, I, I sort of hesitate to say prayer, but uh, <laughs> I guess it is a prayer that it is to different Celtic goddesses that is part of my tradition that got passed down. And there is actually a, a verse that describes Bridget as Minerva, as mm-hmm. you know, equivalent to Minerva to the Romans. And so, you know, so that's the thing, like there's no there's no true equivalence, right? Because right. I can see the argument for Bridget and Hecate. I can definitely, you know, I personally feel the connection between Hestia and Bridget, but, you know, here's this prayer that got passed down that, uh, you know, connects Bridget and Minerva. Well, the Romans were, people think that like, oh, syncretizing things and like blending pantheons is a modern thing. I mean, of take that not. to the Romans because the Romans every single place they went said, oh, so like they went to England and they looked, they interacted with the Druids and said, oh, so you r- worship Mercury, you know, like, <laughs> okay. And like, they would, I don't know what they would base these things on, but the Romans were very big on, oh, well, that's exactly the same thing, which I think is where the whole like Romans and Greeks gods are the same idea comes from, um, is that the Romans definitely believed that. Uh, but, you know, it's, being, I think, being syncretic and blending people, the blending deities from different religions or different areas together is actually one of the more authentic things you can do. Yeah, I mean, you know, I come from South America. Let's talk about the African diaspora in, in, in South mm-hmm. America and how the African religions had to be, uh, you know, adapted so that people could continue worshiping and do it safely, right? We look at Gondomblé, Santeria, uh, you know, sort of all the like Afro, you know, religions in South America, and they all come from bringing the African gods to this continent and then having to hide it within Christianity. And so, uh, you know, you'll have, uh, you know, all of these Gondomblé ceremonies that are worshiping, you know, Catholic saints, but they're, they're not really, they are using the Catholic saint as a mask for, um, you know, Ogun, Yemanja, you know, whoever, Oshala. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the, 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 the blending is something that's existed for a long time and it happens for, you know, different reasons. In this case, it was an issue of, you know, survival and safety, but, you know, the Romans at that point, like they were the oppressors and they were doing it to dominate. And, you know, that's something that, Christianity has definitely done undeniably, uh, you know, the, the 
moving Christ's birth to be on the, the solstice, you know, that was to coincide with all the pagan promised sun childs that return at that point, because it makes it easier to convert people. So, you know, there's no clean lines in, in worship anymore. Right. I don't know. I don't know if we've answered the question. I think we've answered it in so many ways. Hopefully it's not, um, not overwhelming. And, and like I said, there are ways to, if you feel overwhelmed, because I think that when people ask that sort of question, like, how do I pick one? They're assuming they have to pick and they have to pick, they have to pick as a first thing. Um, and two, they're feeling overwhelmed with choices. So, you know, hopefully we've, uh, we've given yeah. some ways to kind of narrow things down or relieve sure, the anxiety. You, know, you can get to know them and, you know, talk to them and develop relationships and see which ones flourish, right? Like you're not going to be super close friends with every friend that you make. Um, but also you can just take the approach of saying, I'm going to set up an altar to the divine and, you know, start creating a dialogue there and then see if they tell you who they are later. Like you don't have to go into it knowing. Right get to know the spirits of the place. So another way to start developing your relationship with deities is, um, you know, and I say this from a, a sort of very, you know, Celtic witchcraft Wicca-esque perspective, is if you're someone who is developing a practice like the Celtic Wheel of the Year, uh, you know, every one of those, those Sabbaths generally has a deity that is sort of associated with it. And, you know, by practicing, by, you know, by going through Leo of the Year, you can get to know several different deities, right? Uh, you know, Lamas is associated with Clue. Uh, you know, Imbolc is associated with Bridget. Uh, you know, uh, Mabin is associated with Mabin and Modron. So, you know, that's a way that you can get to know them too, is through your ritual practice. And, you know, another thing too, is if you're someone who is into, uh, you know, lunar magic and moon worship, uh, you know, if you start doing rituals for the various phases of the moon, technically every moon phase is a different, you know, aspect of the divine feminine. And so, you know, the, the goddess that you're going to meet uh, at the dark moon is not going to be the same goddess that you're going to meet at the full moon. And so you can let your relationship uh, with, you know, the gods come out of your ritual practice as opposed to, you know, approaching it from the god's side first. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's... There's just so much, um, there's so much of this like anxiety of, am I doing it right? That I think that, I think we've, we've addressed several times in this podcast and we'll probably address it again, is that there's not a lot of right. There's, I think the only wrong is with like serious cultural appropriation. Like, you know, you mentioned the African diaspora gods and, um, several years, maybe a decade ago, I remember talking to a friend about, I was considering um, if I should join a Western ceremonial uh, magical society, like the OTO or Golden Dawn or something. And I was looking into it, I've, you know, I've since decided that it's not really for me, but I know that she had some experience in it and I was talking to her about it. And she said, oh, you know, I think with your mindset, you would, you know, you should look into like Santeria or, or Voodoo or something. And I was like, I don't think that that would be a good idea. And she was like, no, I think like, and I was just like, okay, so there's a several reasons, like, like one, I have absolutely no African ancestry. I am a vegetarian, so I would not be able to participate in any rituals involving, you know, animal blood. I was like, I do not speak French. I do not speak uh, Spanish. I don't speak Portuguese. I was like, I, 
I think there's there's so many reasons that this would be a bad idea. I'm not even sure why, you know, you think that this would be a like, I'm not sure why you would suggest this to me. So I think like that, you know, I think that that was a bad idea. And I did not go, I did not explore that. <laughs> so an interesting question too is like, do you pick a religious system first or do you develop a relationship with a divine and then worry about defining what that falls under later? Right. Because right. that's the thing too is, you know, the more we talk about like, you know, what does witchcraft mean to you and, you know, to the people that we have on here, but, you know, at the end of the day, those labels don't really matter, right? What matters mm -hmm. is what you're doing with your practice and your relationship with the divine. And so it doesn't really matter what you call it as long as that intent is, is, you know, sincere. And, you know, the other side of that would be, don't just go and pick up religion or, you know, because you think it sounds cool, you know, like Santeria or voodoo, for example, and then, you know, like force your way into that kind of practice because it needs to be a practice that resonates for you. And that's not to say that, you know, nobody should go practice voodoo, but, you know, maybe the way to get there isn't to like decide that you liked voodoo and then start following a book, but to actually, you know, approach that practice from a more sincere place, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's about the connection with the divine. It's not about the practice that you think looks cool. Right. So, yeah. So I think like, but like what I was saying, like the, the, the only thing to, to worry about with like, am I doing this wrong is, you know, if you're stepping on toes, then, you know, don't do that. If someone has said something is a closed practice, then it's a closed practice. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's not, there's not as a lot of as many rules as some people would have you think. And I think that there's a lot of people who try to gain power by saying that there's a lot of rules and that only they can help you find your way through those rules. And maybe it's scarier to think that, no, you have to figure out the rules on your own, but I think that it will lead to a more sincere practice. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, you know, that's a, a good point too, um, is, you know, the sincere practice and is to ask yourself, you know, why are you practicing? Like, are you trying to get in touch with the divine because, you know, you want things for your life? Or do you see value in having a relationship with the divine for, you know, like the actual richness of it, right? Of, you know, being more in tune with the planet, of, you know, understanding that we have a greater role in, you know, taking care of this planet and what we leave for our descendants. And so, the reason why you're developing that relationship is going to perhaps, you know, sort of dictate how you get there. Because, you know, for me at this point, I don't remember if I've mentioned on this podcast before, um, I think I have that, that I, I don't do that much more spell work anymore because my practice has very much turned inwards, right? About that, you know, trying to strengthen my connection to, to the divine and, you know, to spirit. And so for me, you know, the connection is the goal. Like, it's not like there's not some other thing. And so that gets into, you, you know, we were talking about how not everyone's going to have a, you know, divine experience. But you know what, even in, even in the past, right, in ancient history, or even looking at, you know, societies that are uh, still more tribal, it's not that like everyone there is more mystical, like they have different ways of getting into those spaces. And, you know, psychedelics is one of them. Mm -hmm. right? You know, um, ayahuasca rites are still something that, hap you know, that are happening now. And it's a way to sort of, you know, force yourself into, you know, that space where your boundaries are kind of blown open. 
And, you know, that's the kind of thing that if that's of interest to you that you can do to sort of break down that barrier and, you know, come face to face with the divine. But I wouldn't say, you know, go do that because then you think that deity is going to come back and talk to you and like give you money because like those are super, super powerful experiences and you have to be kind of in the right place to put yourself through that. I would also caution anyone going in that direction to not do it alone. Oh, to have a guide. <laughs> definitely don't. I mean, you know, well, let's be upfront that ayahuasca, even for medicinal use, is illegal in the U.S. If for some reason you decide to like Google it and find it very easily, I probably wouldn't trust those people. But there are, you know, there are places in, you know, other countries that are still dedicated to that. Uh, for example, in Peru, there is a shamanic practitioner called Alonso del Rio, and he'll be the first to tell you that you have to be careful with the use of the word shaman, but uh, he has a ayahuasca sort of training center in a remote part of Peru, and you can go and stay there and go through the ceremonies, but that's a very, uh, you know, safe space with someone who's been working on those ceremonies for decades. It's not like your back alley Craigslist dude who calls himself a witch who has, you know, air quotes, ayahuasca. Right, and just, I mean, I think anytime you are using psychedelics um, without a plan and without somebody there who can kind of like walk you through the first step, the first, especially the first time you would use them, you're as likely to have a bad trip as a good trip. If you don't like, especially in the U S where they're illegal. And as you say, you're not sure exactly what you're taking. Yes. That's definitely a way to break down barriers, but, but be careful because what you find on the other side might not be, Oh God. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's so many different ways. I know that, you know, I've done uh, the, the shamanic journeys with you, with the drumming. And I think just taking those workshops with you has really helped me enter that space, even without drumming, because it helped me find the path. Mm -hmm. And now that I know what the path looks like and what the path feels like, I can just make myself go there. Yeah. So I think that a lot of these things that these that kind of open your mind and show you ways to go. It's not that you necessarily have to always use that method, but right. like if you get the GPS yeah. the first time you go to a place and then you yeah. start to remember there and then you can just sort of get there without really thinking about it. Right. So, so yeah, so there's, there's definitely ways to train and, you know, with everything there's, even if you used to be really good at something, you can get bad again. If you've never done something, it will take a while to get good at it. Like, you know, yeah. when I, when I was in my mid twenties and early thirties, I did a lot of Chinese martial arts and I wasn't good at it, but I was competent at it. I was good enough that I could train the, the new students. I left it for, you know, a decade and have recently come back to it. And I'm kind of terrible at it all over again. Um, <laughs> Off my martial arts a long time ago too and now I'm like I don't want to know how bad I am <laughs> but, but I mean with relationships with deity and with spell work and all of that stuff it is a muscle it's a mental muscle that you can let slide that you can forget no matter how much you used to be good at something if you stop doing it for a while you're going to forget those pathways and likewise if you're brand new you shouldn't just expect to be able to to do everything because it, it takes a little time. Right. Every time that I work with a new group of students on a, on shamanic journeying, there usually is one person who can't get there the first time. 
And I always tell them like, it's okay. Don't be discouraged. It doesn't mean that you're never going to get there. And then most of those people do come back and then they have amazing experiences. You know, of course there'll be, you know, 1% that there's just like, you know, it didn't work and I'm not coming back, but you just have to train yourself to get there. And even as far as my own experience, uh, you know, now I work with the shamanic three worlds model with lower world, middle world, upper world, but not every, uh, you know, air quotes, shamanic culture has both upper and lower worlds. Some cultures only have lower worlds. Some cultures only have upper worlds. So in the earlier parts of my training, I actually was only working with lower world. And then when I learned about upper world, you know, the first time that I tried to get there, I couldn't. I, you know, I was in the shamanic journey. I wasn't, the, you know, someone else was drumming and I just sort of kept like looping circles and like never managing to cross that membrane. And it was super, super frustrating. Um, but then, you know, the second time I got there, I still find upper world harder to get to than lower world. But honestly, it's because I go to lower world more, you know, like that's just something that I've like flexed more. But even beyond that, as comfortable as I am with lower world, one time I was trying to journey and I guess it was just not meant to be because I would go down the path. And then I kept getting popped into this like warehouse with like stacks of folding chairs and everything. I just kept showing up there and I'm like, what the actual like fuck is happening right now? And so I was like, you know what? Today is not a day for me to go there. So it's okay if it doesn't work right away. It doesn't mean that it won't. It doesn't mean that you know, you won't be, you know, great at it one day. It doesn't even mean that if you struggle in the beginning one day, you can't be a teacher. In fact, I think that people who have a harder time getting there often eventually make better teachers because they understand what it's like to not be a natural at it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I've talked you know, even in this episode that, you know, I have had experiences of seeing and interacting with deities while in an altered space. But I mean, that happens maybe twice a year. Like, and I could, I could try like every single week to, you know, I'll get into that space. I'll go to where like I normally, and they just won't show up. It's normal. It's the regular thing that they do not show up, but a couple of times a year they will show up. So I think that I also don't want to give the impression that like, oh yeah, I talk to the gods all the time. Cause it's, it really doesn't work that way. <laughs> so you know what I just remembered that specific time when I was trying to journey and I kept popping up in the in like in the storage room with all the chairs. I was actually at a retreat center in Western Mass and Roe Mass. And uh, I was actually working with Nan from the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, you know, Michael Harner's foundation. And so, you know, we were in a room, it was daytime, there was a ton of people, and I was sitting there with, you know, like a you know, bean bag, you know, eye cover. And I'm trying to journey, I'm trying to journey. I keep any of these storage spaces. I'm like, all right, I'm going to try one more time. And then something pulled my eye cover off my face. And I was like, fine, I'm obviously not meant to do this. And then afterwards I asked me and I was like, did anyone come over and pull off my, my eye cover? And she was like, no. I'm like, well, it came off. <laughs> and so you know, sometimes you'll just get a clear message of not today. Right. So we're coming up to about an hour. And I think the the overall message is that you can just start being a witch. You can just start being a pagan without choosing a god or a pantheon or anything just to follow. You can experiment. You can find out what works for you. And you're not going to, you know, you're not going to have it magically all work right at the beginning. I mean, some of you might. It's, you know, far more common that it takes a while for, for those muscles to build up that um, you start feeling it, that it starts making sense. So don't be discouraged, I guess, at the beginning and, and keep pushing if it's something that you want. And remember, the gods are not vending machines. <laughs> 
You will work better if you treat them with respect and don't make them mad. (laughs) Yeah, I would say that if you're trying to build a relationship with a god, most of your interactions should be bringing them some sort of offering, whatever is traditional, uh, even if it's just candlelight and incense, and saying, hi, I think you're really great. Thanks, bye. You can dance for them, you can sing for them, you can clap for them, you know, just things that show that you are expending your energy in their honor. Right, right. Rather than just saying, hey, I really need a new job because nobody likes that person who never shows up until they want something. Mm -hmm. And uh, you need to keep that in mind for your relationship with gods as well. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. If you have questions, feel free to follow up with us at askawitch at witchcitywitches.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please rate and review us because we'd love to be able to talk to more of you. And uh, you can find Becca on YouTube at This Magic House. You can find links to the various things we're doing at witchcitywitches.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks, everybody.